and welcome to another episode of Over Drinkers. I'm Mike Birds, your host, and today I am joined via the uh, magical technologies of satellites, Tim Irwin. Hello, with my own mic this time. He's got his own mic this time. This is what it took. And <laughs> we are here. We're here today to uh, talk that man talk. Um, we're going to be mansplaining to all of you exactly what's up uh, with Michael Mann. Uh, mainly, we're going to be talking about uh, Heat, uh, his 1995 masterpiece uh, that is a predecessor to the likes of The Dark Knight and a lot of uh, direct-to-DVD movies. Yeah. Um, the Dark Knight is the most successful direct-to-DVD ripoff of Heat. Uh, but we're also going to be talking about two other Michael Mann movies that are very near and dear to myself, and I, I would hope, Tim, now after uh, checking these out, because uh, I don't think you would ever... We're going to be talking about Thief, and we're going to be talking about uh, Collateral. Thief being Michael Mann's first uh, movie movie. Uh, his like first like TV movie was a little thing called uh, um, L.A. Takedown, which I don't know if you've ever seen, Tim, but it is a... Uh, um wait no i'm getting that wrong the jericho yeah. mile yes that's, the jericho yeah. mile was his first one la takedown was a few years later but that's the exact same story as heat yes i was looking that up yeah. earlier yeah yeah uh, so uh thief is his original uh feature film 1981 uh with james Caan. uh and then we're gonna be talking about collateral which is 2004 tom cruise jamie fox vehicle uh, and pretty much just kind of using those to kind of talk about Michael Mann is one of my favorite directors uh, because I don't think there's anyone like him, even though he kind of works in genres that are very um, accessible and a lot of people do a lot of the things he does. The bet, the funnest part about Michael Mann is he's known for his collaterals, his heats, even his thieves, um, his black hats, his Miami vices. But uh, he's also like he did Ali. He did The Insider. This guy Last did of Last of the Mohicans. Yeah. Uh, he did this amazing movie right after Thief called The Keep, which is one of the fucking strangest, coolest movies I've ever seen in my life. I was reading the description for that. It sounds ridiculous. Or like it's so weird. fucking good. Yeah, it's so fucking good. And he also did uh, Manhunter, which is like the original recipe uh, Red Dragon um, Silence of the Lambs prequel before they even made the original Silence of the Lambs where Brian Cox plays Hannibal Lecter of all people and it's funny watching somebody like Brian Cox play a character like Hannibal Lecter before Anthony Hopkins has shown up and shown everybody what they think of when they think of Hannibal Lecter uh-huh. it's like the reverse what Mads Mikkelsen did with Hannibal where he's like I need to remove this far enough from Anthony Hopkins' performance to make it my own, but also pay honor to it. Brian Cox is just like, it's really fucking straight. Have you ever seen Manhunter? I was watching interviews, and they had some clips from it uh, on the interviews that I was watching. It's a wacky movie. The guy's really, really creepy looking. Like it's like He's he, a creep. Tom Noonan? Yeah. yeah, he's a creepy dude. Yeah. Um, and then other than that, uh, I think the only one I didn't mention on here was really Public Enemies, which... Whatever. Yeah. I mean, we don't need Public to talk enemies. about the star of it. No, yeah. not really. He's a... Uh... Well, oh, Johnny Depp. Yeah, yeah, I thought you were talking about the, 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 the hat Johnny Depp wears. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was a star-turning performance. Teen Heart He's just on screen with hat. Johnny Depp the whole time and just, like, holding his own. Yeah, just chewing the scenery. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, so we're talking about, uh, we're going to start this conversation off kind of talking about that thief. Now, Thief, 1981, um, it is uh, uh, written and directed by Michael Mann. Uh, it's based on a novel by um, Frank Hoemer. Uh, really, really cool uh, kind of just like Jewel Thief heist, dirty, dirty movie. Yeah. Uh, had you ever seen it before? No, this was a first oh. watch. All right. What'd you, what'd you think about Heat? Uh, uh, thief. 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 Yeah. Uh, thief is, is cool. Thief is, uh, the music rips on Thief. Uh, Tangerine Dream, baby. Yeah. Uh, the music rips. I, I guess what struck me is the final act of Thief goes from like zero to 100, like so fast in that, like some movies are entire movies of that third act. Uh, and the, the nihilism of it is like very classically, like, it's like literature in that, like, you know, you have this, this, uh, guy who's like, I'm garbage. Every, the society says I'm garbage. I have this dream to like be a regular guy. It gets taken away. And he's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm garbage. And then just like, you know, goes out, you know, blows his entire life up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really good, uh, uh, specifically with these three movies that we're talking about, too. Um, James Caan's character, Frank, is very much like the embodiment of one of Michael Mann's go-to caricatures, which is like, and he does this with good guys and bad guys, and does it almost pretty much in every movie that he does. Uh, I just saw my neighbor has one of those sriracha shirts. Ugh. <laughs> You know those sriracha shirts where it's like the label of the bottle. I shouldn't talk about this. I think he listens. Yeah, to the maybe podcast. listen. Yeah, he's gonna. Uh, no, I think he does. All right. It's a uh, cool shirt. It just it's, it's a, a cool, cool shirt, shirt man. It's we a love cool it. Shirt. Yeah, I, it took me back. Uh, that uh, Fra- uh, like the character of Frank and especially um, like Vincent and Neil in Heat. These are characters that can't um, get out of their own way. Yeah when it comes to the events of the movie that are being thrown at them, whether it's their decision or not, they're always the ones that kind of let themselves get the better of themselves. Like a, they're their own worst enemies, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things I love the most about Frank, about Frank and thief in general is that ending where it's, well, I thought I was, I thought I could maybe do something good, but I guess I can't. But I am really good at this, yeah. so I'm going to go do this now to fuck all of them up. And you're like, he's going to go in there, and you completely f- – the, the mood of the movie is Frank's going to go in there, guns blazing. He's going to get a bunch of them. He's going to get his revenge. He's probably going to die. Yeah. But he just, like, walks out. He doesn't even get hurt. Like, he yeah. goes in, fucks all these guys up, and yeah. then just walks away. Well, that uh, – Spoiler alert for the movies we're yeah, talking about, right. by the way. So, well, that and he, like – he doesn't even walk away in the the idea that you think that he's going to reunite with uh, with uh, his, Tuesday's the act. What's her name? Jesse. You don't even think he's going to reunite with Jesse. You think he's he just walks into the darkness. He's just like, yeah, I'm going back to yeah. being garbage. Yeah, like yeah, that, that's it. It's like, is it Stein? I'm not as well read, but it feels like it's like a Steinbeck thing. You know, like it's it's, it's, it's yeah. uh, Steinbeckian. Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah, it's uh, you know, we get. We get some amazing performances in the movie, too, that are all very much uh, uh, symbolic of that same own worst enemy kind of mantra. We get Willie Nelson's Okla, which is a phenomenal performance that you really... It's one... I, I, I like, thinking about it, it's one of my favorite, like, one-scene performances in movies. 
Like the way his eyes are just so like deep and shiny and kind and generous. Willie Nelson must be on something that <laughs> only existed in 1981 because I've never heard of it. Um, but he also just just has naturally has like those puppy eyes. Yeah, he does. Uh, he also got Jim Belushi yep. in a phenomenal performance as James Belushi. Yep. You got uh, Dennis Farina. That's his first role, is it not? His first big one. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's yeah. one of his like earliest roles because man really kind of takes him and uses him in a lot of his stuff too. Yeah. Um, and then probably the best performance in the movie, second maybe to James Caan, is uh, Robert Prosky, the uh, Leo, the the, um, the, shit, the the main mafia guy, the main dude. Yeah. That performance, how he kind of utilizes that. I, I, it's like he feels like the Santa Claus from Miracle on 34th Street at first. Yeah. And then, and me watching Thief, because I only saw it for the first time uh, maybe last year or so, oh, right around wow. the time okay. we started we started banking on this, um, which is one of the reasons I wanted to do it. was like, yo, I just saw Thief, and I'm pretty sure it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Wow, okay. Which is like, recently I've been diving into, with quarantine and everything, I've been returning to my film studies. I just like, I spent like $100 from my... Uh, stimulus check, which nice. I refer to as money that I have been owed my entire life. <laughs> so I'll just take some of that off right now. Uh, but I pretty much like blew like a hundred bucks on a lot of film studies books that nice. I've wanted to read over the years. So I've been diving back in, but I've also been taking the time to watch a lot of movies that have been like blind spots for me. Yep. Like I watched Philadelphia for the first time. Okay. I watched Driving Miss Daisy for the first time. I watched Hunt for Red October for the first time. Uh, there's a lot of like big movies that I'm just like, yeah, I still haven't seen that one. And about this time last year, Thief like just dropped on Amazon Prime. And I was like, oh, I really want to see that. Michael Mann's first movie. Let's do it. Had never heard really anything about it other than that it's good. Yeah. And I started watching it. And when I see Robert Prosky come on screen, I don't see Robert Prosky as like Leo uh, I see him as like, you know, he's uh, maybe like um, the character from Broadcast News. Uh, he's, but the two main things I see him as are uh, he's the boss in Mrs. Doubtfire. Okay. Like the TV studio head who's just where he's at the dinner with him and Robin Williams has to keep changing back and forth. And he's like, why are you dressed like a woman? Uh-huh. Um, but even more so than that, he's the, uh, he's the ticket taker in um, Last Action Hero. Oh damn! I, you He's know, it's the been guy so who long since I've seen theater. both of those. It's uh, so I'm like I I look at him and I see, uh, I see I see that Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, character. like a gentle I see, sort of older guy. Yeah, yeah. I think feel like maybe I'm thinking of somebody else with Last Action Hero. I need to check, but uh, but yes, I uh. I saw him as like a super lovable, nice guy. And then he comes in as kind of like a nice enough dude. And when he makes that flip and he like boils James Belushi alive, you're just kind of like, oh, shit. Yeah. Love this movie. Like it a lot. Yeah, it's good. And then, you know, this is like where where I mean, it's his first movie, but like the all the insane like attention to detail that returns in heat like is is right there at the beginning of this movie where he's he's got like an actual drill that he's drilling into a real safe. Um, 
you know, they really get like a thermal lance to do that, that, uh, that one safe job. Um, mm-hmm. and then you get all the crazy gun stuff at the end too, that Michael Mann is known for. It, he does like his guns. Yeah. I mean, they really send him to like a, like a, a shooting course for like one, one scene at the end. Yeah. It's, uh, they, um, it is Robert Prosky from last action hero. I checked and I was correct. Okay. Ha-ha. Good. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I've heard that, especially in Heat, he uh, he likes to do the thing that um, Tarantino kind of learned from older, uh, older like kind of grindhouse, cheaply made uh, stuff where most of the sound is done in post. Where he likes to take the gunshots and he likes to use um, different caliber shots uh-huh. for guns than what you're actually seeing, okay. and then making them louder, but also mixing them with a uh with a with an echo that shouldn't belong and he filters in cannonball fire. Oh, wow. Apparently, like and this is like uh Django Unchained, the thing with all the, all of the gunshots in that are just from side pieces or rifles, but they are all cannonball sound effects. Huh. So that's why they sound so like bah! Well, you and, need that cuz any any time you see like a cell phone video of someone shooting something, it sounds so flat, yeah. but anyone who's been around exactly, to, like a yeah. real shot, it's like so deafening. Yes. Yeah. It, so it's kind of like it's he kind of takes that realism, which is one of the things especially with these three movies is Michael Mann's ability to take uh like how we perceive realism. Yeah in a day to day and then kind of take these, take something as extravagant as like a, like a jewel heist or a bank robbery or uh, going on a murdering spree in LA in a single night. Uh, It takes these things and adds this kind of realistic element to it where it's like, yeah, in between the kills, they'd have to get back in the car and they're not going to not talk. What are they going to talk about? And like he is like, he's really talking about, um, you know, you're seeing all of these characters and like the cops got a wife. What's that? What's that like? Yeah. The criminal obviously doesn't have any connections with anybody because of his mantra that he says about four times yeah. that has the title of the movie in it. So he's got to have an interaction with somebody. What's that going to be like? And he takes these steps that build character, but are also necessary to kind of opening up the world and the realism. And it's kind of, you know, one of the funny things about all three of these movies that I noticed in watching them back to back is that they all have this one object um, they're they're physical in uh, Thief and Collateral, and in Heat, it's more of a a saying, but they represent oh, kind the of the photo. same thing. Yeah, the photo in Thief yeah. and the photo in Collateral. Yep. And then in Heat, kind of that version of all of that right. is is his kind of mantra. Like you got to be able to walk away from something in thirty seconds. Well, that and they all have this like in. Well, all right. So they both have the photo in Collateral and uh, Thief. And the photo is Fiji in Collateral, and in Thief, it's like just sort of like this idyllic sort of place. And his, then his life that he would go to, yeah. And then he, De Niro, wants to go to first starts talking oh, about the right, Bio right, right, Bay right, yeah. in Fiji, and then just mm-hmm. ends up going to like New Zealand more. Uh, but yeah, it's still like it's very funny that those all like it's like the same thing for all three of those guys. Yeah, it's like yeah. The, a man who wants to break away, go to Fiji, or yeah, go uh, about as far away as you can. He, yeah. he's like he's Dutch Vanderlint in it. As, yeah, you know, he's just kind of like, yeah, Fiji. Oh, you know, actually, I hear, uh, you know, Guatemala or uh, yeah, you yeah. know. Um, but yeah, like it's 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 a it's an interesting anchor because in any other 
uh, filmography of like the same writer director kind of using the same trope over and over again, it might become something that's a little lazy and overused. Yeah. Yeah. But in the same way that Tarantino uses a lot of the same stuff in a fresh way, it becomes his style. It it, it moves from laziness to this is the lens that I make movies through. And you're here when you go see a Michael Mann movie, you're going to see a Michael Mann movie. Um, you're there for the Michael Mannness, of right, it. right? Same with Tarantino, and so he kind of like always keeps these kind of things in there because he usually deals with bad dudes doing bad things. Easiest way to make them nice is like a term that's like save the cat kind of. Yeah. Have you ever heard save the cat? No. If you want to make somebody likable, even if they're supposed to be kind of a bad guy in the real world, you have them save a cat. You have them do something nice like, oh, they walk out of like a a bodega after buying a pack of cigarettes and they toss like a dollar or some change in like a homeless guy. Real quick, something real small. Yeah. 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 And so with his thing, he makes these kind of grandiose dreams that they have, which also act as uh, arc points to get to. It's like, all right, so we like James Gunn. He's a cool guy. Looks nice. Uh, pretty, you know, attractive. Uh, got a pretty uh, bad attitude, but you know, he's a no bullshit kind of guy. A right. little bit of a temper, but you're like, he's he's kind of just like something it human all comes about him. Yeah, it yeah. all comes from a place where he's trying to be straight, and yeah. he's like, I'm a bad dude, and I think like this, you know. So if you don't like it, get the fuck away from me. But like, I'm gonna be straight with you, even if it's kind of inappropriate and rude. Yeah. I mean, um, that, that cafe scene is great, but what leads you there, like, watching it is horrifying <laughs> that he walks into a bar and just fully manhandles this woman out and, yeah. you know, drags her to his car. And then, then you get this really great scene in the in the cafe where he's talking about his childhood. Even even the scene in the car where he's like, what the fuck do you think I do is so yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah, which there's, like, kind of uh... – the same scene like that in Heat, yeah. uh, with uh, Al Pacino's character. Right, I don't, I don't study metals. Oh no, you, you Al Pacino, not the De Niro. Also, one. In Al, yeah. there's also the De Niro one, but that's again, they very purposely kind of give them all the both the same beats yeah. uh, throughout the movie because um, I don't know if you know this, but um, in Heat, uh, the line between criminal and cop, it's very, thin. it's not, it's very thin. Yeah, it's not that, it's not that thick. They're almost two sides um, of the same coin. Ah. Uh, Oh, yes, you're right. Uh, yeah, no, uh, um, Vincent, when he's just like, where he, do, he does the baby in the uh, the microwave story, which yeah. is burned into my head so much. I always, every time I rewatch Heat, I'm like, oh yeah, remember that scene where he goes into the place with the with the baby in the microwave? And I forget that you don't actually see it. Yeah, it just it's says not it. actually in the movie, he says it, but I always think that it's a scene that you go into because of the way he just drops it and the emotion that comes from it. And he's got a drumstick with no plate in front of his setting. Yes. Yeah, that's very... (laughs) It's And it's probably one of my favorite lines of all Hollywood, which is just like, you know, he says like, oh, uh, dead body's here. I'm sorry. The turkey got (laughs) overheated. Like, it's like he's... It's it's like there's five different ways he can say the sentence, and he keeps changing gears <laughs> oh, as I mean, he's going through it. It's classic Pacino, like it's like the most like meme Pacino you can have. Like when when they're talking about the the affair, he's, she's got a great ass, you know. You got, well, and he's he's definitely about to say fat ass. Like yeah. he, you see his mouth goes to foot, and then he pauses. And he's like great ass. <laughs> yeah. 
it's a it's a phenomenal performance by Al Pacino in there. But uh, I'm on Thief for a little bit longer. Yeah, sure. Um, the I love the the way it kind of revolves around like you know one one job. You know, we get the first job, which sets the stakes, and then we kind of get revolved around like this—the classic idea of one last job, yeah, yeah. which is also in uh, Heat. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of just this idea of the desperation of wanting to get out and wanting to go to a better life, and even if you don't think that you deserve it, and meeting somebody that makes you think maybe you do, and then all of the bad things about you really being brought to light when you try to introduce yourself to a normal situation, right? Yeah, you just can't get away from who you are, even if you try to, like, you know, do this thing, force yourself to do this thing that you think everybody wants. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, where are we going? Oh, sorry, I, I lost my spot. I was looking at my notes real quick. Um, no, no, no. Yeah, what else you got on What else you got on Thief? Uh, oh, I mean, that's – going back to um, – uh, what's his name? Uh Leo turning bad. I mean, when Leo says that line about um, your kid's least, I own him. That yeah. rules. That is like it's good. Yeah, man is really good at um, these like really intimidating, legendary uh, one-liners. Yeah. Um, it's it, he's he's just like we were talking very briefly. Um, you know, this past week while we were doing these rewatches about how man uh, does research and stuff for all of these specific types of right. jobs and everything. And you see, you know, he finds like an actual jewel thief to consult yeah. on thief. He, right. he talks to an actual like uh, cop who was like involved in things like chasing down bank robberies and like uh, jewel heists and stuff like that to be able to get all of these things. He he really like uh immerses himself in the world in the reality of how people actually interacted in the real world with these like genre type situations so that he can kind of really throw drama into it yeah and it's if you ever listen to his movie commentaries he's got such a really cool way of like approaching like uh crime and talking about crime and being like yeah yeah in collateral you see right back here all of those uh, graffiti that's on the wall that was a local street gang uh that owned the territory that we were filming on and they were kind of giving us some problems we need a lot of security and so we asked them if they wanted to you know graffiti up and it would be in the movie and so they did that right. and they left us alone and you're like what the fuck it's like and he, the way he refers to them he's just like it's a street gang was there like he says it like just a he says it like he's he's talking about a Barnes and Noble yeah. in the corner. He's just like, well, yeah, like in these areas, there are street gangs and, you know, they do what they have to do. I'm sure there's a reason that they do it. Yeah. Uh, not all of them are probably great people, but, you know, the ones I talk to, they seem to understand if you meet them on their level. Like he seems very um, empathetic, just very empathetic, but also just very respectful and wise to like the reality of the situation yeah. of being in a gang. Yeah. Not the over dramatic like version that we see in movies or see on the news. It's just like people are in gangs because they're kind of forced to in one yeah. way or another. Most people don't want to be in gangs. It's very dangerous. Uh, it, you don't get a shit ton of money. And yeah. when you do, it's even more dangerous. You know, so it's kind of like he has this general empathy for these kind of criminals and then he kind of starts switching that over to cops or taxi drivers or uh computer hackers with eight pack abs <laughs> have you ever seen black hat 
No, I haven't seen that one, but yeah, that was uh, that put our boy Hemsworth on the map, right? Or... Oh, let me tell you. Oh, he was already Thor okay. by that point. Oh, right. You're right. Yeah, but, that was 15. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but yeah, Black Hat is. Uh, you should watch Black Hat. I think you'd okay. like Black Hat. All right, I'll put that one on the list. I, I saw it when it first came out, uh, and I'm waiting to rewatch it again because I'm waiting for that classic man. Uh, like uh, definitive director's cut because okay. man is also notorious for always going back to his movies and fucking with them okay uh, like thief he didn't really mess with but he's like he's done director's cuts of um, you know he's done director's cuts of uh, last of the Mohicans heat Miami Vice actually this last time I watched heat was the first time that I've seen the definitive version which is pretty much the only version that you can get now oh, which is like the two hour 50 minute version there's like the normal cut i think was something closer to like 240 245 he's added some stuff in there Oh, okay um but he's always going back and retouching up things uh as this as the story goes it's because the keep was kind of ripped away from him uh in the in the process of getting it out there and he always kind of said i will never do anything ever again unless i have like kind of the closest to full final cut reign that I can possibly get. And when you're dealing with Miami Vice and stuff like that, they cut it all up and moved it. And apparently his director's cut is like really wild where like, like things that happen at the end of the movie now happen at the beginning and he just (laughs) recontextualizes them. It's really weird. I mean, from the, what I was reading, it does sound like he's a bit of a terror to work with. But then while I was watching interviews, he seemed like he was just a very normal guy. So, I mean, yes. that, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's kind of like David Fincher in that regard, where he's like a pretty chill dude to just like kind of talk to and see talk about movies. He doesn't talk about them too often. The closest thing he really does is does like commentaries and stuff, which Tarantino doesn't do, which I've always respected, but also been annoyed by <laughs> Um, and, but David Fincher is also notorious for his filming style, like doing like, you know, anywhere between 50 and 200 takes of just like a single scene and making actors run through it until they're exhausted. Yeah. And he gets this kind of more natural feeling out of them. Uh, Michael Mann apparently is very specific. He's, uh, you know, I, I, I wonder how much of Pacino's performance in Heat was just Pacino and how much of it was man being like, so I need this guy to seem like he hasn't slept in a long time, but he's got a lot of energy. He's just really tired. Yeah. He's really tired, but he's, he's, he's got a lot of energy. So yeah. Uh, anything else on thief before we break on into, uh, let me check one. Uh, no, I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, I just had some stuff about the end. Uh, it's funny. I guess it's it's interesting to see, um, you know, John Wick, all these other, like, you know, gun movies now. They all do the things that the guy doesn't heat, but they it's like it's been so long since they first appeared that they're, they all look very smooth. When you see James Caan doing the, doing the room clearing and he's just sort of like wildly swinging that pistol around, it looks oh, a little yeah. goofy. And it's sort of like, yeah. you know, because it's probably the first time that people really like took that, like did that training stuff and then brought it to a movie. And it's yeah. been like, you know, 30 years since then. Everyone's like, okay, well, let's make this look as smooth as possible now. Yeah, like sharp angles, try and get the cuts where you want them, yep. light it really good. This movie was probably made next for next to nothing. Yeah, there's uh, definitely some janky edi- edits in this where it's like a still frame and then it cuts. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and there's also something to be said about like, I don't know if you get this, but we are of similar age and similar um, cultural dispositions. Uh, 
when I see somebody like James Kahn or Gene Hackman or even like Robert De Niro in like the 90s, like throwing around a gun and taking motherfuckers out. I'm just like, that's one badass death. Like, yeah. uh, like he doesn't look like the kind of typical action hero. Right. He's not that Keanu. We're used to. He's yeah. not. He's not Keanu with the good looks and the charm. Yeah. You know, in the sense of like the pretty boy kind of aspects. These are like what these guys would actually look like. Yeah. Right. You know, like a jewel high, a jewel thief working in like, you know, the late 70s, early 80s would look like James Conn. Yeah, a little slubby. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, he's, it's a phenomenal performance. And it's like the same thing I think about Gene Hackman in like The French Connection. And every time I see Gene Hackman in an action movie, I'm just like, Jesus, this is a little fucking weird. <laughs> Which is why I, I think it, the earlier Hackman roles, like uh, The Conversation is always my favorite because he's more of like a like a kind of weaselly in over his head kind of dude, which uh-huh. is like the read that I get off, get off of somebody who looks like Gene Hackman. Right, right. Um, but yeah, let's let's uh, process on over to uh, Heat, which is uh, uh, on over drinkers. We are always uh, drinking a themed beverage, and today we are drinking tea because why, Tim? It's hot. You can't spell uh, heat without tea. And it's hot. And it's hot. And it's <laughs> and it's heat. Uh... Heat comes in a cup uh there's cups in the movie that they drink out of uh Uh, you know sometimes you gotta walk away from it sometimes you gotta walk away from it let it cool down for a little bit Mm -hmm. you don't want the heat to yeah you know you gotta you gotta be able to walk away from it in In 30 30, seconds if it's too hot or you know walk away from it for 30 seconds it's still gonna be too hot then but it's still gonna be too hot then but patience yeah uh yeah man heat um uh really good fucking movie hot take yeah. Uh, I don't care how long it is. I I mean I love a long movie if it's I if like it's a long, if it works, an epic. Yeah. yeah, like you know, yeah, yeah Good Band the Ugly is my favorite. It wouldn't be as good if it wasn't long. He has a similar, you know, the length makes you invested. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of cool how it's broken down into this like very long three act structure of, yep. that almost feels like three episodes of TV where, you know, we have the first episode is the first hour where it's like broken down into in- being introduced to all the, the players, what's going on, the world, the stakes. And then you could theoretically say it ends when De Niro becomes aware that the FBI is on to him. Yeah. Then you get your second episode, which is them uh, getting rid of the FBI and the cops doing the bank job having it fuck up now they're on the run and then you know the third act is like another 50 minutes which is um the entire point of the movie is all about that last 50 minutes where the heat right is on right you know where, where it's he like has to decide if he wants to walk away or not yeah yeah and you know vincent uh pacino's character is very uh the heat is on him too, where it's like, he's out of here in eight hours. We have eight hours to find him. Yep. That eight hours goes by and they find out he's still here. And he's like, I don't know what he's doing, but if he's still here, that means he's got unfinished business. We need to find out what it is. Cause he's gone in six hours. Yeah. You know, and like they keep changing it because they don't know what this guy's doing. Well, that's um, the best You also part. have like a serial killer subplot. That yeah. Like, well, I know I love it. I love it, but it feels like uh it feels like a stranger mission in yeah. like an open world where you're <laughs> just really like, and by the way, if you go over here, <laughs> yeah. uh, you can do this serial killer stranger mission. It doesn't really affect the Well, you know what? Story. What is good about it, though, is that one of the best things about Heat is that every character is so fully formed, and they don't necessarily have to be related to each other, but they are. 
but they yeah. they also don't have to be. And you don't in a lot of police procedurals at the end, you get the, the police figure out a very clear A to B to C to D. But Pacino at, at several times and De Niro, both of them don't necessarily know what the other one's thinking and why they're doing the thing they're doing. Like Pacino at the end is like when they talk about the um, the money launderers, he says, yeah, they got mixed up with some money launderers. He has no idea why De Niro wants to kill that money launderer. He just thinks that yep. it's some sort of like thing gone wrong. And it is, but it's not. It's like the money launderer has done this whole wild sort of scheme to fuck with him. And he has no idea about it. Yeah, and, and that's kind of – I love the the ballsiness that they do with having those two plots running side by side with equal leading characters yeah. um, because that kind of allows you to have these like different stories happening before they converge, separate again, and then come back. Yeah. Um, like I think, I think that them uh, – the bank job of them just coming in – and they've they've ditched the FBI and all the tracers by then. They're in the clear to do the bank job. And while they're doing the bank job, we go to a scene where some where one of like uh, Pacino's dude just runs in and he's just like, just got a tip, bank robbery, eleven thirty. Let's go. You yeah. don't know where it came from. Right. You don't know why it happened. And now you go into the biggest moment of the movie and you don't understand how they got there. Yeah. And it makes it that you're thinking about that while you're watching all of this stuff. And I think it's supposed to stress you out a little bit and confuse you and disorient you because then afterwards you find out. You know everything that, that Wingro did. Yeah, yeah. Every what's been going on, and you're like, oh, okay, I get it now. And that's that's the last act is dealing with all of that. Right. And it's the same thing with um, uh, in the movie, uh, like in the very, I guess you could call it like the first episode of the movie. Yeah. You have you're dealing with uh, Robert De Niro, and you're dealing with you know like his hoodlums of like John Voight with some great hair. Tom Sizemore with some great hair. Uh, and um, Wes Studi is in there. Uh, Danny Trejo. Like, he's got this really cool pack of dudes. And then we cut away and we see this... Uh, we see this um, guy who's just gotten out of prison, played by Dennis Haysbert, mm-hmm. who... Oh, yeah. Needs needs a job at a diner. Has just a regular storyline. Yeah. Has nothing to do with anything else at all. Yeah. You don't know who this guy is, how he could be connected to anybody, yeah. and he's getting this dumbass job. And then we cut back to him again later on, and he's talking to uh, either his sister or his friend, um, and just, just a woman who's, like, trying to help him out. Yeah. Uh, and, and it just, like, keeps going from there. And then all, and you don't know where it's going. And then all of a sudden, it's oh, Danny Trejo Just can't snapped. make it. Yeah. Look who's right there. And yeah. you're like, by that point, you kind of like this guy because he's been acting like a good dude. He's down on his luck. We all know what it's like to have a shitty boss. And you're like, dude, do not do this. Yeah, oh, we like you so no. much. Don't. You yeah. have you have no idea how in over their head these guys are. Like, they don't even tell him, like, yeah, we pretty much just ditched the cops yesterday. <laughs> you know? So, like, they just do that. And he's, like, the first one to go. And yeah. it's, like, it's not, um, it's not uh, sensationalized. It's not a spectacle. It's just he gets, just, like, gets, falls forward. Uh, and he's yeah, dead. yeah. And I, I think the... Um, I think the decision, both in the screenplay and in the execution of the movie, to 
introduce those characters and those situations like that without really any explanation until it's needed is a really brave thing to do. And I think it kind of adds to the realism of heat. Like sometimes you don't know what's going on. Yeah. And I mean, he has like one of the most impactful storylines because he is just a dude who just, he's on probation. He's got this dude who's actively fucking him like as his boss, who's like actively fucking him on the probation system and like treating him like shit. And he's just trying to get out there. And so when he gets that like just freak opportunity to bust out and make a lot of money, like you can't blame him at all. No. Yeah. And that's, that's the, that's what sucks about it is that society is not there to help somebody like this. And it's like a very, these are the things it's like uh, that Michael Mann movies are about even like last of the Mohicans is based on this like very classic novel. Uh, you know, last of the Mohicans is very much about um, identity and, um, and trust and honesty uh, more than it is about, you know, this kind of like conquest of these lands and like this kind of revenge story. And he is very much just about like how the world operates and has created characters like Vincent and like Neil and the people that work for Vincent and the people that work for Neil and the people that are underneath those people that know those people. Like the world has created all of these people and no one is in control anymore of what they're doing. They don't even know if they want to be doing what they're doing. But at this point, and especially with Neil they and feel Vincent, trapped. which is... It, they are both trapped because there's nothing else that they can do and too much time has gone by. It's that classic, and, like, what does a soldier do when a war is over sort of thing? Yeah, you know, it's exactly. just kind of like, yeah. And Neil's whole thing is like, I'm going to do this one last job and I'm going to get out. And even when Vincent hears that and like he kind of reads that that's what's going on, he's like, no, you're not. Like, even if you get away with this, like, it's not going to stop right there, which is like that defining moment. I watched it with... Uh, the love of my life, Diana, uh, on this rewatch, and she had never seen it. And it, it's so much fun watching a classic, just like, just a guaranteed masterpiece. I've never met anybody that didn't like Heat, and if I met them, that'd be re- a really weird opinion to have. <laughs> um, but it's fun watching something that is just like a, stole, a stone-cold classic with someone who's never seen it before and kind of see – like she's asking me questions like, so wait, is Pacino the cop? Like before you find that out. And I'm like, well, no, like you gotta, that's the whole point yeah. is you got to figure it out. And when, when De Niro is driving uh, away and he's got it. They're going to the airport. Yeah. They're going to be, they're going to get it. And he finds out about Wayne Grow, and he's just like, yeah, no, I don't have time for that. He's like, fuck yeah, dude. And then she, he hangs up and then she, he starts like getting all weird and looks and she's like, no, no, don't fucking do that. And it's, you know, it's, that's that great, that's that great moment in a movie where, you know, the way movies work and all of the movies we've seen, we understand different story beats and elements that are going to come into play to it. That's what makes it exciting and makes it tense and it's kind of subverting those expectations when you least expect it and doing it in a different way that makes it exciting. But th- that's the type of moment that I live for in a movie where you're like, that means that you care about this yeah, guy. You yeah. understand that, right? Like that's, it's not so much about making you go, oh, I wonder if he's going to go back for him. It's when he decides to go back for him to you, do you genuinely feel bad because the movie has done a good enough job of making you like this guy. Like, that's like don't. a really, even though he just exactly. murdered a ton of people, you still yeah. are like, please don't just, just be happy. Just yeah. go, just get out of here and go be happy. Walk away from this stuff. It's going to be 
be fine. Yeah. And and you can't. And I think that's one of my favorite testaments whenever somebody complains to me about, you know, like, why would the character do that? I wish he hadn't done that. It doesn't make sense for the character. He was going to be just fine. And it's just like, dude, that's what the movie meant to make you feel like. It yeah. makes you realize that you care about this guy, even subconsciously. If you didn't realize it, your brain did. And now when he goes into this final fight and it's down between Pacino and De Niro, you honestly don't know who you want to win. You're yeah. kind of like, I'd be cool with either of these guys taking the other one out. They're probably going to kill they could each other. Both not. Maybe they could Maybe both they could. get away. But it's, but then you get to the point where it's like, it's what Pacino said. And he's just like, if I got to take you out, I won't like it. And De Niro's like, if I got to take you out, I won't hesitate. Not even for a second, but he does. And yeah. that's, what gets, that's what gets him killed. Why do you think De Niro goes back? To get Wayne Grow? Yeah. Because he can't let it go. Wangro thinking... fucked him up yeah. and and it is and he's gonna go back there and he's gonna get revenge on him, but it is also maybe something that you're getting to, which is he can't get out of his own way. He's looking for well, ways subconsciously that are gonna like stress his situation. What what do you got? Well, so he's got this whole coda of like, don't get so attached you can't drop something. And he clearly breaks it if he's going after Wayne Grove. That's, and I yes. think the only thing that could make him feel so bad about it is he doesn't kill him when he gets the chance. He is the one that fucks up when yes. he gets the chance to kill him outside the diner. Yeah. He doesn't keep an eye on him and he gets away. And I think it's guilt. I think he's yeah. like, you know what? He fucked up my whole thing. And he might've been able to let that go if the team didn't die, but like everyone's like dead or fucked up by the rest of the thing. And he's like, you know what, man, I feel so bad that it's my fault. I'm just gonna, I, you know, I got to do this. Why do I get to be the one that comes out of this with a happy ending? And I'm the one that let this guy go that ended up fucking all this up. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's that thing where it's like, when he talks about you can't have anything in your life that you wouldn't be able to just – that you wouldn't be comfortable with just walking away uh, from within 30 seconds if you see the heat around the corner. Uh, I don't know how many – if you've heard that before. Um, yeah. But it's it, – it, and when he says that, he's kind of saying – the first time he says it, he says it to Val Kilmer uh, about, you know, about um, – His wife. Uh, about his, his wife. girlfriend. Um, who plays her again? Uh, I gotta look it up. I got uh, Ashley Judd. Ashley Judd. Yeah. Um. And so he's talking about that, and then you know when he keeps saying it, it's almost as if he's talking about a personal life and things that are close to you in like yeah. a positive way. But we find out at the end, like something that maybe he hadn't taken in consideration was being able to walk away from the actual job and from mm-hmm. something as you know pitiful and meaningless as revenge uh, and guilt. You know, and that's the thing that ends up getting him. That's what takes um, Edie away from him. That's why now he has to like walk away and we get that 30 second kind of thing where it's like, all right, here comes Pacino and uh, I got to bounce. And he runs into the airfield and shares a look with her and he doesn't even really seem that upset. He's just sort of like very matter of fact, like, you know, I got to go. Right. And that's I think that he's prepared himself for that 30 second run with relationships like that. Every time he's had yeah. a friend or a close one, he's like, I could drop this in a second, but he's never considered his own shit that he needs to walk away from in 30 seconds if the heat's on. And that's mm-hmm. kind of the, that's the thing is that he's never been taking into consideration the shit that his own conscious is bringing to the table that he might not be able to walk away from because he's such a proud dude. 
Yeah. He's never, never taken I think the time to examine it. Yeah, I think that's the guilt in that. Well, because he, he, Billy Crystal, his therapist, hasn't shown up yet. That's not for another, like, uh, three or four years. <laughs> uh, oh, so anal- analyze this. Oh, wow. it's, all, it's all canon in the Robert De Niro cinematic universe. Every single character is the same. Some are dreams. Some are yeah. robots. Well, then, you know, he's got a, he's, he's currently, uh, he's currently tied with Pacino in terms of KD. <laughs> what, what is, uh, the fun thing with, uh, Pacino and De Niro? They were both in Godfather Part Two, but they weren't on screen. Yeah. They're, they're two of the biggest, uh, actors of their generation. Heat was the first time that they came together and they're only on screen together for one scene. Yeah. Maybe two. At well, the yeah, end. they only have one conversation really together. Conversation. And that's the one in the, the coffee shop. Yep. Yeah. And then there's what was the one that they made? Righteous Kill, right? Yeah. Uh, which bombed. And yeah. I saw, I don't remember anything of it, but I know I saw it in theaters. Yeah. I always get that one confused with the one where uh, Robert De Niro and Sylvester Stallone were in the boxing movie where it's like Rocky versus Raging Bull, but they're both old. <laughs> no, I didn't see that one. What is that one called? I need to look that up. Uh, I I feel like it's called like um, it's like a dog fight or like okay something like that. Uh, let's see, Dirty Grandpa Heist, The Intern, which is awesome. Grudge Match. That's where it is. Yeah. Grudge Match. Okay. Grudge Match. Teen Heartthrob Sylvester Stallone as Henry Razor Sharp. And Robert De Niro is Billy the Kid McDonald. Oh, Alan Arkin's in it too. That's nice. Oh, Kevin Hart's in it. He's that short guy. Yeah. Anthony Anderson, always nice to have him in a movie. Okay, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, Heat, uh, good movie. Good title. Yeah. Uh, Val Kilmer. Oh, uh, I mean... It's so weird to see young Val Kilmer and then to like uh, to know what he's he's gone through since then. Yeah. Uh, Val is a uh, deep personal friend of mine, whether he knows it or not. Uh, <laughs> I love watching Val Kilmer movies. Um, Island of Doctor Moreau is one of my his performance in the Island of Doctor Moreau remake is one of my favorite things in the world. Uh, I love his uh, Batman Forever. Uh, which I, you know, I, he's, I refer to that as like kind of my George Lazenby Batman, where it's like, he's the guy that only did it once because they kicked him out. Like, you know, George Clooney was going to do Batman again. And then they were just like, we're not making these movies anymore. So like, he was the one that got kicked out before he could do it more than once. Um, and I was reminded of that, not when I was watching heat, but I watched Ford V Ferrari for the first time the other day. And, uh, as much as like I don't want to like Christian Bale on a personal level, uh, he's such a fucking good actor because you're watching him in something like Ford v. Ferrari and you're like, that was Batman. Like 15 years ago, that was Batman. This is fucking crazy. This is nuts that that was Batman. And I can't take it. But Val Kilmer, he's the best Batman ever. Okay. Um, uh, he's my darling baby boy. I love him. Uh, I'm glad he's doing a lot better these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw him introduce, I wasn't there, but I saw the video of him introducing a, uh, screening of Tombstone, um, at like an old abandoned, like Western town. Nice, um, nice. and then like the next day he introduced Top Gun at like a, at like an airfield, uh, and seemed really cool and in good spirits the whole time. That's good. Um, 
In this movie, he's an absolute dreamboat. Yeah, he's got the flow. He's got the flow. He's got, the uh, yeah. he's got one of the best final scenes of a character uh, because I love that they just drop his shit and they don't. They, yeah. you know, he's he the character. He's the character that at the beginning of the movie you go, he dies. Yeah, and for sure. he's the one that gets away, and it's yeah. because of this relationship that he has with the Ashley Judd character, with his girlfriend wife character. Uh, his baby mama, um, that we've only seen the, you know, the personal side of. We've seen how they respond to one another as partners in a relationship. But as soon as we get, you know, Ashley Judd, so you're like, oh shit, Ashley Judd's going to turn his ass in. Oh, totally. And then we see like she does that little, no. Yeah, and just the, the really smooth. Yeah, that move. she's in on it and that she gets this life and that she she supports him in it and that she she has to like warn him at the last moment. And then he turns around and he's just like, Hey, do you know where the, the corner store yeah. is? And I'm and like, then he even that gets picked up and yeah. you know, that he just gives him the fake license. They're like, well, I mean, he's got a license. We got to let him go. And it's the, I think, isn't it the Arizona license from the beginning that he just happens to have because of that? Oh, I didn't even think of that. I think that's what it is. Is because they mention it twice. He shows the Arizona license and that's how he's able to get it at the very beginning. Oh, they right. make when he a gets point the of shape it, charge. and then yeah. they say like, "Oh, you can get these anywhere in Arizona." Blah blah blah. If you have a license, they could get a fake one. Oh, and they mention okay. that again later. So I'm like, "Oh, I wonder if he, if that's like kind of like a little tiny Same thing. Boy. He had that on oh. him." Uh, oh, I, that I love, rule. I love that he cuts his little locks. Um, yeah. I love that he's the type of character that you think would like go out guns blazing, but he actually just keeps his cool the whole time. He's a good mm-hmm. thief. He's a good, he's a good friend. He doesn't rat anybody out. And he like take, he's chill when the cops stop his car. And that's why he's able to get away. It's pretty cool. But he is the one that kicks the gunfight off. Uh, well, yeah, because he sees those motherfuckers. Yeah, right. And like, yeah, they, were about, to do. they yeah. were about to blast the fuck out. Cause they were like, wait till they all get in the car right. and then take them all out. And he was like, fuck that. Well, even even Pacino like alludes to that in the beginning where he's like drop of a hat. These guys are ready to rock and roll when yeah. he see when he goes to the first crime scene. He says that and then, you know, they make good on it. And that I mean, the way that 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 gunfight kicks off is just like so, so quick and so good. And like it's definite like the sound is huge oh, and yeah. deafening. And it's like it's scary because mm-hmm. it's so real. I'm a big proponent of the uh, when I'm watching a movie. I am in the comfort of my own home. Uh, I set the audio to a level that I'm comfortable with and I don't touch it because I uh-huh. fe- I feel that quietness and loudness and the changes in fluctuation are a choice that somebody was paid a lot mm-hmm. of money to do and it's there for a reason. Um, Diana does not like that sometimes because sometimes things can get quite fucking loud and I (laughs) am not going to argue with her and I'm not going to let my pride get in the way of that. I'm going to turn the fucking thing down. But I normally try and find a spot where, and and he is a very quiet at times movie and loud at times movie. And so Mm -hmm. it was a lot of like, all right, bring it back up to 63. Oh, nope. This is a, (laughs) this is a 55. Uh, No, 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 no. Um, Cause that heat, that, that, uh, that big, uh, set piece in the middle there, that big gunfight. Um, that's something else, man. It's uh, it's fucking nuts that you know nothing really like that on that scale in the outside have been done. To my knowledge, before that, I might be wrong, but there's a realism to it that makes it almost feel like it's the first time something like that's being done. Yeah, 
and it's and it and like the realism is what is so so good about it and what makes it so that it is so scary and it's fun to watch but it's also like there is so much real like tension in it it's not like you know a typical action movie where you know they shoot the gas tank and the car blows up and you know it's just like a fun sort of pew pew thing it's like the guns are making real noises and you're ducking in your in your seat yeah it's there's you know there there's something to be said about the idea of like so many bullets going off and you know most of our main characters not getting tagged Mm -hmm. Um, but this is something that, you know, like from my experience, uh, with the military and secondhand experience with talking to people who have been in similar situations, not exactly, you know, robbing a bank and then getting shot up by a bunch of police, (laughs) but, you know, just being in a, in a, um, open fire situation, uh, there's a lot of bullets that go around and, uh, there's more bullets going off than there are people and not everybody's getting hit and that's kind of just the way it works even Mm -hmm. like the most precise uh assault rifle or um semi-automatic um is not that is not as precise as you might think it's going to be when you're shooting at people over these long distances yeah i mean if you're if you just like do the do the math and you're like you know one inch like of a degree change on you you know multiply that 30 feet out that's a that's a really long distance you know and it's you know and they've got like uh cars that are bulletproof that bullets don't go through which is great and they've got boxes that bullets don't go through and that's no the cops are getting shot from behind the cars in a lot of these things and i think there are a couple like you know there are a couple magic spots where maybe they got a little bit of plot armor but i think that's one of the things that i found so interesting about it is that there are people who are behind just like doors and you see them go down whereas like they're usually they're always key to be like behind like engines or like going long ways Mm -hmm. on a car yeah. Uh, so I, it does make it a little more believable from them if you really want to be like a, a stickler about it. Right. I mean, and you got to have the, that plot armor kind of thing from time yeah. to time too. Because it. Um, uh, check. Uh, let me check my notes here. What is it that? Again? Oh, it looks fucking cool. That's yeah. what it was. I. Yeah, that's what it was. Um, well, if anybody's going to introduce that thing, it is Michael Mann, who it, who's like clearly huge into realism. So like, if anyone's going to be like, yeah, you actually can't stand behind a car door, it's going to be Michael Mann. Yeah. It, yeah. It's uh, the the fact that it like just kind of becomes De Niro and Kilmer at that point, like running away. You have that great scene with Tom Sizemore, like picking up the girl and Pacino mm-hmm. just kind of comes around and he's just like, no, no, no. Yeah, it's, it just uh, does like great. a really composed like breath and just shoulders up. And yeah, yeah, yeah it's a uh, it's a phenomenal scene in a phenomenal movie that kind of kicks off, you know, Everything before it is table setting, really cool character work, fun stuff. You get that awesome action scene that almost seems to last forever to an almost unbelievable degree. But when you really kind of think about it, you're like, no, that's probably how something like that would happen given these exact circumstances and situations. And then that leads into my favorite part of the movie, which is, you know, the heat and Mm -hmm. and them trying to kind of block these guys out and get away. I do love, though, uh, before the bank robbery... I do love the, uh, uh, it's kind of like, um, I, I wonder if somebody's ever put the Curb Your Enthusiasm music to it, uh, but the uh, when they meet in the, in like the factory field and they're like uh-huh. faking everything so that they oh, can get yeah, the cops yeah. to when go they, down there they make and them. he's like, oh, these yeah. guys are real good. They're lo- you know what they're looking at? 
You know what they're looking at? They're looking at us. They're looking at us. Yeah, take a good look. And then you just go up to Robert De Niro, like half a mile away with a big lens camera. Bum, 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 ba, da, 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 da. He like looks up and smiles. Bump. It'd be great. I'll cut that together after this. Yes. Yeah, definitely do that. Um yeah, I mean the the cat and mouse that they play is is great, and you both like you know they're both getting uh, all this intel on like when um, uh, what's what's the old guy's name uh, De Niro's handler basically? Oh, John Voight. Nate. Yeah, John Nate. Voight. I mean, yeah, when, yeah, when Neil or uh, Nate gets him that file with Pacino, and they have the whole thing where they're like, yeah, he's a heart attack man, you know, former. He's had three wives. He's you know, yeah. married to the job sort of thing. That that great little intel on them where they're both scoping each other out. That yeah. rocks. Which, which is what makes their scene at a at the coffee stand so good because it's like these guys have studied each other enough to kind of realize like you know I kind of like you. Um, mm-hmm. I see a lot of myself in you, whether I want to admit that or not. Oh, the dreams? Oh, man. Yeah. The dream part is great. I, I love it where De Niro's like, you know what that means, right? Or no, uh, Pacino's <laughs> like, you know what that means, right? Like, oh, well, yeah. I mean, it, it means like... Run uh, out of time. Run out yeah. of time. He's like, yep, yeah, that's what it means. Like, they're just... They're, <laughs> like, uh, when Pacino takes out, like, his stack of tarot cards that he just picked up, and he's just like, yeah, these guys right here, like, uh, you know, uh, this this one's got a really good energy. The one that I had back home, it's not really working out too well. You got you got, you got got new tarot cards? You got new tarot cards? You got to get tarot. That's where his gum comes from. It's all of his, like, he's... It, <laughs> in 95 the way you got tarot cards was like baseball cards you had to pick them up at mm. like a gazebo or something like that a gazebo uh, bazooka joe a bazooka gaze- joe a bodega a gazebo bodega. you pick them up <laughs> yeah. at a gazebo you know you just find Close a couple enough. people chilling out in kind of like a house tent in there's the always a cat park. at yeah. the gazebo yeah <laughs> um but yeah that that coffee scene love it uh, I, it's it's the highlight of the movie outside of like you know the big fights and the ending. Uh, you know it's where it's the first time we get to see these two titans of acting kind of just go toe to toe with the shit that they're really good at. Pacino with his just like off the leash Pacino ness and De Niro with his super just reserved cool. Um, mm-hmm. It really is just kind of like a script and characters that were tailor made for these guys and the best parts of their stuff like. I always forget how insane Pacino is in this movie. That a couple years ago, I did a project called Pacino 182 um, with with my friends George and Brian, uh, Brian Fitz of It's Fitz and uh, George Spafford, Love of My Life. Uh, and we did Pacino 182 where we played uh, Blink-182 music uh, songs, classic songs, but I would sing them as Pacino. <laughs> and that was the whole gig. And we played a couple times and it was fun. Uh and in doing that, you find all of the stuff from Scent of a Woman and Dog Day Afternoon. And you uh-huh. find these kind of like these ways to be able to, yo, hey, you know, like to be able to like kind of get that. But in Heat, so in all of his movies, he's had these like little specklings of hua and stuff like that. Yeah. But it's never the whole just... performance. This movie, it's the whole performance. Who? Who? What are you now? It's yeah, like right. Yeah, every and you, single in the beginning thing. when he's when he's sweating his informants and he's like, "Don't waste my motherfucking time." Yeah, he just he he dives right in. Like he goes to 11 immediately because uh-huh. again, I think it's like it's Pacino's take on someone who again would be insanely tired but wired at the same mm-hmm. time, you know? Like he's just 
He's ready to go. He's he's DTF, but he's also like super fucking exhausted, and he can't kind of put together coherent thoughts. So he's oh, just the, he's just kind of like the TV scene, the TV scene, or even when he kicks a TV out at the end, or <laughs> yeah, where he throws it out of the car right on the street. It's great. It's 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 an insane performance. That's like. I can't imagine it was anything like that on paper. Even if it was word for word exactly what he was saying, I don't think that it yeah, was envisioned it was to have that execution of the dialogue. But obviously, yeah. if man was letting it happen, then yeah, like that's what he wanted. Right. What's your What's your favorite Pacino moment in the movie? Uh, in this one or in general? Uh, both. I think in this one, uh, you know... The like him him sweating out Tone Lock that Tone Lock cameo that rules yeah um in the club uh and uh, you know I don't know I mean I'm gonna show my my uh my redneck side here but like I mean he has the coolest gun in the shootout they give him the coolest looking gun for the shootout scene and that like you know it's great when he's just running down the street taking shots and he then he lines up the one on uh, Sizemore that's great yeah man it's yeah. it's Pacino man he's gonna pack it. He's gonna he's yeah. gonna pack Pacino. <laughs> okay. You like that All one? Right. Yeah. Right. The tea is kicking in. I got CBD tea Woo. over here. Woo. This uh, guy. Yeah. Uh, uh, what do you think about the wife? Because I mean, these are these are man movies, and I mean the 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 female character in Thief, the wife was was barely there, right. and he does seem to really try to put a certain amount of depth to Al Pacino's wife in this, yep. because she's like clearly like a psychiatrist or something, because she knows a lot about uh, you know uh, the way people think and and how to read people's emotions, but. At the end of the day, I, I don't know. Like, it feels like he really tried, but it just sort of is like, eh, you didn't. I mean, good try. Yeah. It's, uh, I appreciate the effort, um, you know, as, as like the woke motherfucker that I am, I always do enjoy, you know, some equalization in the uh, characters, regardless of their gender and kind of thing. When it comes yeah. to something like he, you know, am I here for uh, the wives and the girlfriends? Justine. Justine, Justine, Diane, Verona. Yeah, am okay. I, am, I, don't wanna, I, I don't wanna be. Am I here for them? Not really. But uh the <laughs> actors are really fucking good. Uh I think the characters get like, you know, enough of the stuff that they need to do. I do really like um I think uh, it's uh Amy Brenneman, uh who plays Edie. Um Niels yep. Neil Niels Boo. Uh she was um uh in The Leftovers, uh one of my favorite shows of all time. Uh, Ashley Judd, as you know, was an actress that existed in our reality between the years of 1993 and 2002 and then vanished, uh, returned to wherever she came from. Um, uh, and then we had Natalie Portman when she was still in her um, uh, child phase. Yes, and she cuts uh, two of the most, uh, she cuts two arteries that would make her die within three minutes. Tops, <laughs> right, right. Uh, which is something that I just know, unfortunately, from past experiences, but it, like, not personally, but uh, it, I, I understand when they say those two arteries and you're in a bathtub, I, I know how that works. And I go, I don't think that the size of that human <laughs> being would have made it all the right. way, like, she could have, 
just done it when he walked into the room, and she still most likely would not make it. Probably to the hospital. would have died, right? So I mean, they could they didn't have like they bring her to the hospital, and he gets to say, "I think she got the artery," and you get like the tourniquet <laughs> scene to to further like sort of like show you Pacino's ex-military background because he's making a tournament or, or his like you know his his training, so he's making the tourniquet. He's doing what he what he's known for what he can do. Uh, and then he says artery because you know he know he's he's done he's had that training, but uh, artery, artery, yeah, you don't really need it, yeah, yeah, it's, it's sort of like it's good stuff, yeah, it wouldn't work. Yeah, I like it where he like he he kind of shows up to the hospital and he starts telling all of the doctors like and nurses what to do yeah. and like how to do their job, and it's kind of like somebody like walking into a restaurant being like, we got ten people, you take two tables, you put them together, you put the chairs around here, you take the extra chairs and you put them in the back. What is so hard about that? You know, it, well, I, you know, it's showing that he has first aid training because he's a very qualified cop. Yeah, and that would have definitely come in handy uh, later on uh, with Robert De Niro, but he uh, he shot him in the lungs. Yeah, and just you know, let him let him go. Which that's where, not going back. That's where all your organs are, right in mm-hmm. that area, that upper kind of middle area, right there in Center your torso. Mass. That's where all that. All that stuff that uh, keeps me up at night lives. The don't shooty part, yeah. Yep, I can't, I don't like it. Uh, It's just in there, floating around. I don't like it. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, yeah. uh, All of these characters, Val Kilmer, De Niro, Pacino, uh, really awesome kind of executions of caricatures that we see in a lot of these movies. We see the good cop you know the cop that's like into his job too much and it's kind of affecting his love life and is and you know we see the right. criminal who never knows when can't to let go off. but he's real good it's all of these characters yep. that can't turn off and the movie posits the question you know Pacino and De Niro never turn off Kilmer's character does like Kilmer's character goes I got to walk away it's not my because choice because he's been told by robert de niro that he needs to be able to do that so many times and he actually listened yes that is the whole thing it's like i want if i can get to her i can get to her and she called me i can get to her let's do this and as soon as he sees that he's like he takes the same 30 seconds and he then turns around and he's like yeah you guys know where the gazebo is where i could buy some (laughs) uh tarot cards i really like the gum um uh, no, it's it's good character work. At the end of the day, it's great action scenes. The movie looks fucking good. It sounds great. Got some Kronos Quartet in there. Um, they got that Moby remix of a Joy Division song, which is like the most 1995 thing I've ever fucking heard. Um, it's just an all-around good movie. Like, there's nothing wrong with it that I can think. Did you, did you do any Devil's Advocate shout-out Al Pacino on this with trying to, like... Maybe be like, what's a problem I could have with the movie? The third act could be a little tighter, I think. All right. That's that's, that's, that's my favorite one. part of the movie right there. Yeah, right. And I know yeah. I, when you were saying that and I had this thought prior, I was like, oh, damn. Yeah. We had a difference of opinion. I can, I can see that, though, because it, it it's a much longer version of a third act than it should be. They add things in there. They create subplots late in the game to like go well, like around. the suicide do you need the suicide That's that the doesn't really thing. come back to anything yeah. yes yeah I, and it's kind of the same thing with um you know it's uh wangro and that entire thing you know it very easily you didn't need wangro to do that 
Uh, yeah. It very easily could have just been Danny Trejo's character does something like that, but Danny Trejo's character is a boss, and he dies like a boss. That scene mm-hmm. I always forget about because that was a scene I think they cut from the cable version of oh, the movie. Okay. Yeah, like they cut like a couple things to try and shorten it up, and infamously, as everyone knows, um, I had Heat recorded bootlegged on a VHS tape, and because it was so long with commercial breaks. Uh, I cut the commercial breaks out because I was recording it as it went, but because it was so long, um, it infamously cut off the last 10 minutes of 12 Monkeys, which was the movie after it, and I had never seen the ending of 12 Monkeys until about (laughs) like five or six years ago, but I had seen the movie itself probably like 50 times, just never the ending. But you get the ending. You get the It's a big mystery. It's a big movie. Um, Yeah, no, I can definitely see the third act that final 50 minutes being a bit much. Well, I guess you get the huge gunfight, which is like by any other graph, like that's the climax. And then like the resolution really goes down, like really drags out until you get to the the final showdown uh, between De Niro and Pacino. So I think by, especially by modern standards, you would expect a little bit less of that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's a movie that, you know, it can take its time because for some reason they told man it was all right to make a movie that long. You know, yeah. it's uh he takes his time with stuff, he really lets things uh get in there. Um and I think that's a thing that adds to the realism of everything. And that's right. something, you know, right. that's that's the counterpoint. In yeah. that it's like, you know, each one of these characters has their own lives and they're all doing their own thing. They're not only tied to each other. Yeah, it's it's interesting that they would be like in this big moment where Vincent's like, you know what? He's gone. We're not going to get him. I'm fucking going home. Fuck this. It's all over. Oh, uh, my stepdaughter's trying to kill herself. All right. And then, and then like he has to go <laughs> yeah. in again and do this other thing. And meanwhile, while that's happening, De Niro is like, baby, come on. You got to come with me, baby. New Zealand. We're going to New Zealand. You said you wanted to do it, baby. I only killed a few people. Yeah, baby, please, bro. You need to do this with me, bro. Um... It's, uh... It it makes it realistic. And that's kind of... That's the reason that I not only give it a pass on like its length, but also kind of like it so much is that it's, it really just, it allows uh, the movie and the characters to really dig its feet in the ground. uh, When you think everything should be wrapping up and it's like, no, 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 we're going to sit in this a little bit longer. And then it Mm -hmm. wraps up like super quick. And it's just like, here we go now. And that's like, it really, you, you honestly feel like the movie could end at that moment, right before he makes the decision to take the exit to go get Wayne Grove. You're like, this yeah, could fade could to black right now. We've resolved everybody's stories, yeah. and they're just never going to meet. They gave up. He didn't even really want to catch him to begin with. Let's just go. Yeah. But then he makes that decision, and it just all gets fucked up. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else on Heat before moving on to uh, Dak Collateral? I'll check real quick, but I don't think so. I think that was, that was everything that I had. Uh, yeah, it's just a banger. Banger of a movie, man. Uh, recommend it uh, would watch again yeah and probably will Uh, yeah I'm sure this was like my third or fourth so I'm sure I'll watch it again yeah alright so Collateral 2004 directed by Michael Mann my favorite Michael Mann movie really really 
this overheat. is this overheat. Uh, do I? Uh, this is kind of a situation where it's like you know, favorite versus better. Yes, like favorite uh, versus best. He yeah. is one of the best movies ever made. It, it is probably looking through his stuff again. He is probably his best. Is definitely his best made movie. Um, mm-hmm. The Insider is very well made, and as is Last of the Mohicans, and those are his three back to back. Is 92, 95, 99. Um, those are fantastic movies for my Burge rule, which is uh, no one else could have made it like that. Uh, it takes <laughs> okay. Michael Mann to make Last of the Mohicans like that or The Insider okay. like that. Anybody could have made those movies because they wanted to make them. Um, but what makes them special and good is that Mann kind of puts his filter on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but Collateral, 2004... 2004 is a very uh, good year for Mike Burge. I'm 18. Uh, I'm just beginning to like really kind of dive into actually studying film to the point where I'm about to discover that I can't afford to go to film school unless I <laughs> do something drastic, like join the military, which I do, uh-huh. uh, and then take a five-year break and then come back. Um, but Collateral is, uh, you know... In 2004, I am also like a diehard Tom Cruise guy where I'm kind of like, there's something with this guy. Because uh, he, he's, going, he's yeah. going fucking nuts. Uh, and I'm like, you know, I think this guy's going somewhere. I think this guy could be a star. And Collateral is just such a summation of all of the things that makes Tom Cruise work. And he wasn't doing it very steadily at this point in time. Uh, my argument to that being the the three the new Mission Impossible trilogy, mm-hmm. um, and Edge of Tomorrow, and Jack Reacher, that Cameron Diaz movie, Night and Day, yeah, sure. Uh, well, the, this, the, you know that's that mode of Tom Cruise just right. turning on the Tom Cruise switch. Where it's just like my whole yeah. thing with Tom Cruise has always been Tom Cruise is a very amazing actor because. He never has to become the character that you're watching. He's just Tom Cruise. When you're watching Mission Impossible, sure, they call him Ethan Hunt, but it's Tom Cruise. We're here for Tom Cruise, which is why his Tropic Thunder uh, thing is so funny because they make him not look like Tom Cruise. And you realize actually how energetic and how how good of an actor this guy can be. And Collateral is this movie that takes all of those aspects of tom cruise's career that i really like how he performs how he does little eye squints and smiles and head tilts and how he loves doing like actual like he got to that uh john wick thing before keanu reeves did where he's like i want to train with all of this stuff and know how to do these things and he does this in collateral and i think it's one of my favorite performances of all time is his performance yeah. in Collateral, and it's right there next to Jamie Foxx's performance as Max. I think those two performances are some of my favorite in the entire canon of film, and they also happen to be contained in a really fucking good movie. So, yeah, that's that's my favorite Michael Mann movie. Okay. I accept So that. why don't you like it? I don't... No, I, you know, I, I, I know, think... I'm <laughs> I like it. I think it just didn't connect to me as much as he and Thief did because sure. of like I I don't know. I think the the I, I don't, like the pathos in Heat and Thief is something I find more intriguing than Tom Cruise, who's literally 
has no emotions in this. He's a sociopath. Yes. So it's a little bit harder to grab onto him. And Jamie Foxx is uh, also like he's kind of wimpy for a lot of it. He's a passenger, and that's what makes his journey so good in that his, his change from the start to the end. But at the same time, it's kind of hard to latch onto either of these characters because they're not immediately... Not Tom Cruise is very likable, but it's also like it's hard to grab onto him. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I these are things that these are things that I see there and I like because um, right. I kind of like the idea of you have these two characters. One's a sociopath that you can't really connect with and understand, and one is kind of like acting like a little wimpy guy. You like him and you want him to like get out of this okay, but he's not really a surrogate for you to like really drop into, you know, he's not a John McClane or, you know, right. uh, he's not like, he's not your typical leading man character, even though Jamie Foxx at that point is a leading man. Um, I yeah, think, I mean, that I was think peak that, Jamie Foxx. Yeah. yeah. Oh, totally. And this is like right before Miami Vice. It's right after Ray. Um, or it's the same year as Ray. He got nominated for best supporting actor and best actor the same year. Yeah. Um, because I believe that the I I look at it as the main character of the movie is uh these guys' relationship, and so you have sure. these two characters that neither one both are interesting for different reasons, but neither one is really something to grab onto to really sink your teeth into like enjoying. But it's this relationship and the 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 way that they kind of build this camaraderie and like this kind of secondhand speech to one another in the midst of this only like, you know, eight to 10 hour night. Um, yeah. I love movies that take place in a closed window of time. Uh, that is cool. It's probably speaking to the pathos thing. You're 100% correct on that, that heat and thief are very much have that kind of epic uh, pathos to them. Uh, whereas I think collateral is very much more, it's, it's more noir than any other Michael Mann movie. And almost every Michael Mann movie is a noir. And, mm-hmm. Uh, I also have my film geeky stuff where, you know, the movie was one of the first ones, like almost completely shot digitally. All of the outside scenes are shot on a digital camera because it allowed, uh, for you to see things in the background without it going out of focus and being able to tell the difference between a tree silhouette and still like the black bluish night of LA. Um, And all the, yeah, all the low light filming that they had to do. yeah, Yeah. It's like, it's really neat and interesting in that way. And I always can't help but think about what a neat idea that is, is that they brought that in for this movie. Um, and I just, I love the, uh, I love the, the latter structure of the movie where it's like, I got five stops to make and we Mm -hmm. go to stop one. We go to stop two. We go to stop three. We go to stop four. There's like a break in between four and three where you have to change something and improvise. I love the movie's angle on like the theme of just going with it and improv improvising and, like that's kind of the only way to be free, but it's also this kind of thing that can drain you and can be very dangerous for you. And they're constantly utilizing that in both how they are making the film itself and what the characters are talking about and doing. Um, I just think it's it's one of those first movies I saw where I was like, this is an action movie, but it's also got something really cool to say that I'm connecting with in a pretty cool way. And at that point mm-hmm. in 2004, I hadn't really experienced... Uh, movies like that like i had seen heat sure but Heat probably you know i was thinking of it more as like you know it's a bombastic action movie i wasn't digging into you know if that's one positive that you can say for heat over collateral is that the 
the themes of Heat are much more mature and and layered in and something you really have to turn over and consider. Whereas Collateral, it's kind of wearing it on its sleeve. It, you know, they're literally saying the themes to you, just like improv, ichi, go with it, you know? There's a scene where they go to a jazz club and talk right. about improvising, you know, like it's it's I I get it. And it's it's hitting the nail on the head, but I like the way the wood comes together. It's about it's a movie about a man showing somebody else uh, the beauties of L.A. through jazz. Yes, which uh, I don't yeah. know if you guys know. Uh, white people own jazz now, um, as of twenty sixteen. As of La La Land, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what that's what happened. It's you know you. you this is the prequel to yeah, La La Land. Yeah, you vote for a president. Yeah. That's your president, yeah. and we all have to deal with that. And when La La Land uh, wins Best Picture, uh, now uh, now white people own jazz because that's what happened. La La Land won Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Elections have consequences. You know, if Hillary won the popular vote, then La La Land fucking won <laughs> Best Picture in 2016. Uh, all right, moving away from that. Uh, collateral. What, <laughs> what else? What else do you like? Don't like about it? Um, I mean. Uh, Tom Cruise just being gray, his entire character being gray, that that rules. Yeah. Like that's like so comic book that I love that. And Michael Mann's reasoning behind that was uh, the way he had envisioned the characters. Uh, he wanted him to have a bunch of scars on his face and hands, like very weathered. Like this guy uh-huh. has been through a lot, and he wanted him to be younger but have gray hair, like he's been stressed out his entire life, like he's always on edge, and he went gray super uh-huh. early. And when they got Tom Cruise, they were like, "Well, you can't put scars all over Tom Cruise's <laughs> face. He's Tom Cruise." But they kept the gray, and that really is like, it's a defining thing because that's Tom Cruise's hair is like one of his things. Yeah, that's like when he's bald at the end of Minority Report. You're just like, oh, oh what? <laughs> good shit man yeah um let's see oh i hate the needle drops in this fucking movie oh uh, <laughs> yeah that yeah. audio slave song is so, so it's like it's so 2004 it's, yes it's, it's, it's very intense uh i i have never really liked um that moment because of the the needle drop uh, I do like the needle drops in like the clubs and stuff like that. And when he goes to meet Javier Bardem, who's just like, who like I feel like Javier Bardem like uh, s- snuck into this movie and he's like, by the way, I'm gonna be like super famous in like three years, but uh, I'm just gonna do this one scene. Um, uh, there's a commentary on the DVD for um, Collateral that I listened to where Michael Mann explains the Audio Slave song, and uh-huh. I, I kind of love it now. Um, okay. because he, he, ex- and you have to just listen to it, but for, he goes on about it for about two minutes for like the length of the, like leading up to the scene, the scene and a little after. And he's just like, I remember hearing the song and I was just like, that's the song. That's the song. It has to be, you know, it's just, a, <laughs> it's, it, it feels painful. Uh, Chris, uh, the voice is just, um, you know, there's something there that you know you really can't put your finger on and there's like there's a pain but there's also a hope like he he's breaking down this audio slave song like he works for <laughs> fucking paste magazine and he is just like killing it and it made me go like and i'm also taking in the fact that this guy was uh 51 years old when yeah. 2004 was coming around and he's I'm just right like, up there next to scorsese on the mount rushmore of dad movies yeah exactly and i'm just yeah. like this is funny that this was like I, he was 51 and he was like 
he heard Audio Slave in 2004, and he was like, <laughs> that's it. That's deep, man. That's, that's some good damn. shit. <laughs> that reminds me of my college days, dude. Yeah, it's like he was like, uh, somebody sent him like a, uh, a lime-wired, like a burnt disc. <laughs> and he was just like, oh, my friend made me this mixtape. There's this great song on it by this band called um, Audio um, Slave. Audio Slave dot we, we gotta MPEG. Get it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I'm in agreement with you there, but it's a cute coyote. Yeah. He's cute. And you know, you know, you get the whole, like, it's a gray coyote. You got, you know, Max is gray, right? His name's Max. No, Vincent. He's Vincent. Max is the other guy. Oh, Um, yeah. Yeah. Like the coyote is like Vincent. His Vince. I, I I did. He he straight up said that. I listened to it in a, in a YouTube. (laughs) I get it. No, that's like a. It's like symbol. It's like symbolic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's like he's like on the prowl. He's on the hunt. Yeah. He's in like he's a in city, city where maybe he doesn't belong. Yeah. Uh, maybe the world's just growing, Damn. changing too much for him. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Huge. <sighs> Real quick, do you want to hear the uh, songs that Madonna wrote for Dick Tracy? <laughs> I'm doing a sure. I'm doing a trivia night tomorrow, and I I'm picking songs off of uh, vinyl soundtracks that I have of like original content. Uh, she uh-huh. made a song called "He's a Man." Uh, He's so- a man. Sooner or later, the big one, you know, engineered by uh, Bill Bottrell, uh, "Hanky Panky," "I'm Going Bananas," "Cry Baby," "Something to Remember," "Back in Business," "More," uh, "What Can You Lose?" "Now I'm Following You," Part One. Now I'm following you, part two. Part two, and, okay. And uh, Vogue. Oh, Vogue's on there. Is Vogue's Vogue from that soundtrack? Yes. Like it wasn't a single before then. Uh, it was only for the Dick Tracy soundtrack. I, be- I know that Sooner or Later was her big single off of this uh, that was made for the movie. I'm not sure if perhaps uh, I'm looking at the ass cap. And uh, yeah, it looks like it's got different engineers and everything from the rest okay. of it. So it looks like yeah. So maybe they just threw it in there. All right. Yep. Uh, and the album is called "I'm Breathless" by Madonna. Music from wow. and inspired by the film Dick Tracy. A film that we all talk about still today. Oh, I got an overdrinkers coming up on that baby. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Have to do it. Oh yeah, it's a noir. You're you're the noir man. I need to get my more Pacino. Yeah. Oh, you what? You what? Yeah, you get that. You get that good. You get that good. What? Who said it? Who said it? Yeah, he's good. He's a good guy. Love him. Close personal friend, Al Pacino. Wow. All right. Well, you got anything else uh, on uh, Collateral? I know we didn't touch on it too much, but again, I think that's kind of the beauty of the movie. Is it's a very simple movie. The things about it that I like personally are very simply put it's all the the characters and their communication and kind of the setup um yeah i mean it's a lot of style it's, yeah. there's not you know um will smith's wife see, uh, is in it yep um kind she's of got funny a name. Uh, yeah she's a da um uh what is it annie her name's annie in the movie no that's a good name um uh, I think it's funny that, I mean, these are all just like little little things that I picked up on. Uh, Jamie Foxx throws the briefcase off the freeway. Um, Tom Cruise then hits Jamie Foxx with the same uh, leg hook push that he gets hit with in The Last Samurai. 
you know, you, just, just you, a little bit, just a little trivia. You waited till this point to drop that? Yeah, just, yeah. Jeez, man, we're going to have to put a tag at the top of this. Be like, listen, <laughs> they're going to start trailing off real hardcore when they hit the Madonna, reading the Madonna album. But you need to stick through because Tim has got a fucking spring gun loaded up his sleeve. <laughs> and he's about to white cake the shit out of that. I just the, the look at the Last Samurai was a big movie for me in high school. I watched that oh, so many too. times. Yeah. I, yeah. I, lo- I love yeah. the Last Samurai. Yeah, um, and then uh, is that I look is at Last Samurai Ridley Scott? I think so. Yeah, I feel like it's mm, or produced by Ridley Scott. It's I feel like mm, I feel like it's it's somebody like Ridley Scott. It's not Ridley Scott. Edward Zwick. It's Edward Zwick. Yes, of course. Did you look yeah. that up? You looked uh, that up. You didn't I know did. that. Okay. I did. I don't know who Edward Zwick is. I was is. trying Come to on, man. Ed, no, Edward Zwick. Like, look at his movies. Like, you're like, I thought Ridley Scott directed that. Oh, I thought Ridley <laughs> Scott directed that. Um, <laughs> and then, look, I just don't by the ending and i don't want to be the the well actually guy but it's a michael mann movie who michael mann is a freak and obsessive about this stuff there's no way that you tom cruise wouldn't have killed jamie fox and it's a great ending it's a great little bit but there's no way that his gun wouldn't shoot through that door oh right you're saying well and that but that's uh i think that's kind of like the pulp fiction aspect of it where it's like they get in there and they just shoot at each other and they're just ba 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 and yeah. Jamie Foxx doesn't get hit. Entirely possible that he missed that you know he couldn't get a good a good shot he's, on him because he couldn't see him right. He yeah. couldn't see him right. He's fucked up and Jamie Foxx just like kind of blares around like in a little circle. He he does a little mm-hmm. James Con from Thief where he's just like da 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 da. Uh, you know, because uh, he's got to die on the train because he said that story. Right, he said the thing about the train. Uh, he actually does trip over that chair, and I, I watched yes. it like when he's jumping through. Yep. Yeah, you know, I watched it. I said, I bet that he really did trip on that. It wasn't on purpose, and he, they just liked it and left it in. I looked it up afterwards. Yep. Yeah, that was the case. Yeah, and yep. he and he takes that fall like a champ too. Yeah, he's, he's Tom Cruise. He's Tom Cruise, man. He knows how to take a fall. Um, uh, I love uh. One a big point of contention that a lot of people that I know when we talk about this movie, they talk about halfway through the movie that bridge scene, and they go, "Why doesn't mm-hmm. Tom Cruise? Why wouldn't Vincent kill him right there?" Yeah. Uh, to which I, you know, uh, in a kind of my classic sassy Burge asshole way, go, uh, "Have you been watching the movie?" Um, that he likes him and he like wants to see things, but also there's another hour of the movie left. So yeah, that's, that's just, yeah. I mean, that's why if you'd like to talk well, to talk about, you know, uh, maybe why wouldn't he, then we could do, you know, uh, he likes him well, and he, he wants explains, to see. Yeah. He explains the thing with like, he doesn't want to be seen. So he needs a new, a new sheet. He with needs, a, he needs a flash drive that's without. The whole thing, yeah. yeah. And that's but, like the idea is like he's always planned on doing something that's going to link Max more to it because yeah. uh, Mark Ruffalo, our sweet yeah, boy Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, they say that thing about like, the other yeah, cab. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that he was going to kill Jamie Foxx at the end anyway? I think that we would have had to have gotten there to be able to see from what we see of his stuff. I don't I, – I think that he is totally cool with killing Jamie Foxx because yeah. he's trying to do that at the end. Um, but I also think that, you know, 
his plan is to kill the taxi driver that he gets into the taxi car. But maybe he would have let Max go at the end and been like, but they're going to be after you, man, because they, I planted all this shit and they think mm-hmm. it's you. I'm out of here. Yeah. Cause I, he might like him, but he doesn't care about him because he literally cannot care about Jamie Foxx. And the only reason why he's trying to make him make Jamie Foxx be a better person is because he, he likes that. He's able to like mold a person. Yes. I think. He, yeah. No, yeah. I, I catch that. He's, that is indicative in when he asks him what happened to your dad, and he says, "I killed him." Yeah, just, just kidding. He just likes uh, to play he, with him. He's yeah, playing yeah, with yeah. him. Like he likes that he has that power in the situation. That's more than just I've got a gun and you have to do what I say. It's mm-hmm. that he considers himself to be much smarter and braver than him, and that's why when he steals the briefcase and he throws it it really kind of shocks him. And he's just like, let's see what else you can do. Like, that's pretty yeah, fucking yeah, good, yeah. man, that you would just do that. I mean, I love the scene when he calls the cab, when when the guy's like, I'm going to take that out of your pay, and he pretends to be the DA. Yeah, or the, it's so the, good. It's yeah, great. that ruled. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah, because I think that he genuinely... Do I think that he likes Jamie Foxx enough to, like, not kill him and let him go? No. But I think he likes Jamie Foxx as much as Vincent's character can like anybody. And I think that's kind of the whole point is that Vincent hasn't had a relationship like this in a long time. Yeah. Because everybody's just been afraid and they haven't opened up. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, the kind of candid nature of their conversations in the car where it's like, I just watched you kill like four people in the past two hours. But now we're going to talk about the limo company that I want to start. And that's kind of, that's the Max character where Max is super nervous, but he's also very, he's full of shit. And as soon as he starts bringing up the limo service, he's just like, no, but you don't understand. Like it's going to be this and it's going to be that. It's It's going to be be sick. It's going to be, it's going to be like, like how could a limo service ever be that cool anyway? That's the whole bullshit of it. And that's, he actually got a, Michael Mann got a limo uh, driver, like a guy who owns his own limo business, to completely build and curate how, what Max would have to do to be able to get all of that, and taught it to Jamie Foxx. So Jamie Foxx actually had the plan and knew how unrealistic it was. Like that's that's Michael Mann, dude. Like this guy's kicking ass. Yeah, he's he's a freak. He just you know backstory. He's, he's a lore guy. He's like know? the extra. He's just like so. Yeah. Let, 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 what's a, what's some extra seasoning that we could put on this little bad boy here? Like I need a little bit more pepper and salt. Let's uh. I yeah, actually got a whole file cabinet worth of stuff on Max. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know we could just go to any one of these things. Yeah. Well, and I guess uh, you know in watching watching the commentary or rather listening to, um, he talks about how he always wanted to shoot a movie in LA that took place over the span of only one night. Uh, Mm -hmm. And he wanted to find something to kind of deal with the dichotomy of LA as a nighttime and the different like domains and sectors of it. And Collateral was originally written for New York and his agent brought it to him and was like, I think this is kind of like what you were talking about, but it takes place in New York. And he's like, easy. Put it in L.A. Let's fucking do it. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he loves L.A. Yeah, I mean L.A. is uh, it's a big one. It's a mm-hmm. it's a big city. Uh, a lot of people live there, and uh, it's right by all the cameras. You know. Yeah. You don't have to take the cameras too far to shoot all the stuff. True. It's where all the cameras are. Not a lot of water. A lot of cameras. So uh, I think we're wrapping up here. Please tell me you have at least one more of those um, amazing nuggets of uh, info. 
of, of goofy trivia. Well, uh, that the first scene where uh, Tom Cruise uh, shoots those two guys. Yes. Uh, Michael Mann wanted him to do it in under 1.9 seconds, yeah. and uh, Tom Cruise did it in 1.6. Yeah. Uh, I he mentioned and that's that like in the commentary four shots too. Or something. Yeah. 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 It, he mentioned that in the commentary too, where I not, where he says that, and I go is that good? And then Michael Mann goes, which is really good. And I was like, oh, it's really good. Okay, good. I mean, it looks good, but I don't, I don't fucking know. Is that good? 1.6? All right, cool. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've done it before. I mean, I've about... done it before in like 1.3, 1.4, but you know, that was on like a yeah, really you good know. day. You know, it's not yeah. like a um, The coyote yeah, what is about, Vincent. Uh... <laughs> what do you think about Ruffalo in this? Uh, I sent you that gif. Uh, yeah, Mark Ruff, 2004, Marky Ruffs walking into this movie's B plot, just like he's like Shawshank. He's just like, "Here I am, yeah. baby. You forgot <laughs> I was in a... this, didn't you? Even though you'd seen yeah. this movie like ten times, you forgot." I look I a lot in... old. I look a lot younger than you're used to, huh? Yeah. yeah. He looks. Uh, he looks real good in this. Um, I love the character choice of how he looks and the fact that he is. Um, just completely kind of uh, disconnected from the overall story of everything until it all converges and comes together. And then he's just taken out. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. It's great. And like, you feel like in that moment, you've been following him, you like him. And then he just gets taken out and left behind and he's gone. And we feel, we feel that, that disappointment that, that Max feels where he's like, I was just so close to getting out of this. I was just about to do it. And then that's what leads us into that's that's the car crash scene. Yeah, right, where he just flips the car. And yeah. it very easily could have been a movie where Max works with Mark Ruffalo to catch Tom Cruise. Yeah. Very easily. I'm gonna could go have gone back in with him. I'm gonna that. go back in with him. Give me give me your walkie talkie, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, or or even just, you know, like I know where he's gotta go because uh, you know, I, I know what he's doing, you know, and then they they it's a chase and yeah. they easily could have chased him. But yeah, they they don't but do that because it's not that movie. Yeah, you can't do that too because it's it takes away from the professionalism of Vincent that he wouldn't let True. something like that happen. Like nothing Vincent is never out of control in the movie with the exception of, you know, when Max starts proving to be a formidable kind of adversary by stealing the briefcase and crashing the car, things that he, he you know, he's pushed Max too far and he sees yeah, that well, too late and he's just like, fuck, uh, maybe I fucked with this guy a little bit too much because now he's seriously <laughs> fucking up shit. Well, it's like, uh, it's like that Band of Brothers scene. Uh, you ever see, like, I'm sure you've seen it, but when, um, when that one guy won't get out of his foxhole and and uh, Spears has to come over to him and say, look, the problem is that you think you're still alive. Uh, you just got to accept that you're already dead and then you can, you'll be able to do your job. And that's Max. Max is like, he's driving the car. He's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm already dead. You're going to kill me. You're going to kill gonna flip me. The car. I need to do something that, yeah. and this is the only thing I can do. It's good shit. I mean, and that's like, you know, when you go see a movie, that is about a hitman taking over a taxi driver to drive him around to kill people. That's the scene that you know is going to come. It has Mm -hmm. to come eventually. Like that's the whole, there's only so many objects that can be turned towards a character and story. And the car is one of them. The car really is kind of the third character of the movie, Mm. you know, LA being the fourth character and the coyote being the fifth. And then Will Smith's wife. Um, (laughs) No, 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 wait. Then Javier Bardem. Then Peter Berg. Then Mark Ruffalo. Then Will Smith's wife. Jada Pinkett. Yeah, whatever. 
no, and she's fantastic in this movie too, man. The the scene which is so important at the very beginning between Jada Pinkett Smith and Jamie Foxx really solidifying who Jamie Foxx is. He's a nice guy, all of that stuff. So it, it acts as a very good, um, you know, comparison to how he reacts when Vincent gets in, where he's kind of a right. little bit more standoffish uh-huh. and he's uh-huh. not as like jokey. And you can see Tom Cruise is much more into talking than uh, Jada Pinkett Smith was at first, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just like he's kind of giving him the cold shoulder. I love that Vincent automatically knows that it was a girl. Uh, he's like, he's like, what do I get? I get a free ride if you're wrong. And he's like, no, nah, I already gave my free ride away to who? Someone. And he's like, did you get a date with her? You know, like yeah, he automatically yeah, yeah. is going like, yo, he man. knows that he's nicer to yeah, yeah. to the, he's the like, lady passengers like, than he is him. Me, yeah, you, I'm gonna ask you a question. If you give me t- two cents, I can make a dollar out of it. Like I can figure out exactly what you're doing just by how you're saying things, what you're saying, how you don't say it, and mm-hmm. that goes throughout the whole thing where it's like he's really breaking down Jamie Fox, and he's one step ahead of him at every moment up until that hospital scene where he didn't see that coming. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, he thinks he's back in control because he's got him doing shit. And then he crashes the car. And then that's when we get into the whole Tom Cruise is tripping over chairs and shit. Yeah. Ginch on the ear. Yeah. It's a, it's a, a fun fucking movie. Uh, For me, it's a really good ride because I've seen it so many times now I can kind of just get in there and just like kind of let it go and notice like newer things uh, that scene where the guy uh, robs him, like uh, robs him while he's tied to the steering wheel, is yeah. also just like an all timer for me because when you're watching it, you're just like, oh shit, they're coming down to help him. That's cool. Oh fuck no, of course they would do this. Oh shit, and, <laughs> right. and the way you can't get your break, the look on the guy who is just like, give me your fucking wallet, and Jamie Foxx is like, I don't. But I'm I'm tied to the steering wheel, man. I can't get my I can't get my wallet. And the look on the actor's face that's playing like the the thug guy, he's like he for a moment like looks so fucking stupid, like he didn't realize that. It's it's just this little what tiny you, great reaction yeah, right, shot. Like, like he just thought he was just some it dipshit like sitting in an alley, yeah. you know, because he wanted to be there. Yeah, yeah. And he's just like, oh, all right, uh, just get get up, blow. I love that. And then. You get Tom Cruise saying, yo, homie, which is great. (laughs) It's good shit, man. No, Collateral, love it. Uh, Definitely my favorite Michael Mann movie. But he is obviously a very close second with that. Um, Thief also, though, man, like, I love Thief. And I would be hard-pressed on, you know, I've lived with Collateral now for 16 years. Thief I've only lived with, with for one. And I would be hard-pressed on being able to pick, like, if I could only put one Michael Mann movie on, like, my top 25 or top 50 or whatever, if I could only pick one Michael Mann movie, I would have a hard time picking between all three of these. Because I would really have to figure out, like, what am I going for here? Because I mm-hmm. I really love the originality and the attitude of Thief. Um, Collateral is a good friend, a movie that I've studied, that I love, that I like, that I could watch at any moment. Uh, that's my point break rule. If I could watch a movie at any moment from any point in time in the movie and still love it, that's one of my favorite movies. Uh, but he okay. he is also a cinematic masterpiece. It's a milestone. It's one of the greatest movies ever made. It's fucking Lawrence of Arabia. It's Star Wars, you know? And it's crazy that a movie like Heat that's two hours and 50 minutes long can have the love and admiration that it does have, that everybody kind of yeah. universally is like, yeah, that movie fucks. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, man. Good movies. Well, Tim, thanks for uh, sitting down and talk to me, talking that man talk with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope I I hope I mansplained to you uh, why Collateral was good. Thank you for pointing out I, to I me that, that Vincent was the coyote. Yeah, you know, I just felt like that was important. It's a movie that's so rich in depth that every time you watch it, you can watch it as many times as I have, and you can still miss certain things. And that's yeah, why that he, these conversations are so I know good, it's because hard you can because really he, dig through and find things. Yeah, it's hard. What you missed is that Vincent has gray hair, and the coyotes... I didn't think about that. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I well, look you at think a coyote. Of Tom Cruise, he has dark hair. I think yeah. I look and at And you think of dogs, dogs have dark hair. Exactly. I look at a coyote and I see fur. I don't see hair. So yeah. I didn't even make mm. the connection there yeah, to be right, able to bridge right. it. I didn't have the tools necessary. But you come in, yeah. you know, you're fucking Pauline Kale and shit, and you just like you lay that shit out, man. And that's that's why we love having you on the show. <laughs> uh <laughs> It's good to see you, though, man. I hope you're staying safe and cool during all this. Um, yeah, I'm good. I mean, uh, I was uh, hanging out in my house a lot before, hanging out in the house a lot now. So I'm doing all right. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'll, I get to just sleep a lot more now. It's kind of my thing. Yeah, I'm and, sure that's nice. And be home, but still just do stuff from a computer. I've just changed the surroundings of it. And, and taken like an hour off of my like driving every day, which is nice. Sure. But, you know, I miss my podcasts. I really only listen to podcasts in the car, so. Oh, oh yeah. We'll see. Yeah, I I am just listening to podcasts at my house while I'm working now, so that's it's, nice. It, I'm, I'm grateful to be working. From it's home. hard to listen to a podcast at your house because, like, I don't like wearing headphones too often, uh, mm. and I live with another human being that probably doesn't want to listen to my podcast about what happened to pizza at McDonald's. That's on episode 181. <laughs> Whatever happened to Pizza at McDonald's? It's a great podcast. You should check it out. It's fantastic. You're going to love it. Uh, But Tim, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Thank you for having me. If you're listening to this and you have never heard me and Tim rap about movies, we've got some awesome fucking stuff back there. Uh, We covered Interstellar together um, during our Christopher Nolan trilogy rundown. We covered uh, the Man With No Name trilogy uh, fistful of dollars for a few dollars more and the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, me and Tim actually both have tombstones in the Italy setting where that graveyard is. We Spain. In Spain, sorry. See, that's yep. why we need you here, man. <laughs> I don't know the difference between those fucking places anymore. Um, you know? Yeah. It's a, I thought Spaghetti Western and I went Italy. Yes. Yeah. That's that's a common. Yeah. Filmed in Spain by Italian directors. Yes. Yeah. Very weird. With American actors. Yeah. Um, and, uh, we also did, uh, most recently we did a, uh, Transformers episode, uh, where we talked about all the Transformers movies. So we went from one Michael to another Michael. Is that all we did? Did we do another one? Well, we did cats, but that was, that was, that was with the boys. That was, yeah, that was with the boys. boys. We did cats where we ate a bunch Uh, of hot sauce. That's a good episode too. I feel like we did do another one in between Transformers and Good, the Bad and the Ugly, but I can't come up with it right now. Just me and you? I, I feel like we did. Because I remember, wasn't it the first uh, podcast episode that you were on was um, The Hurricane Heist, right? Yes. I remember The and Hurricane then, Heist very well. Yeah, that was a good one. That was a fun uh, time. Interstellar. Uh, we did The Dead Don't Die, but that was a hot take. But that yeah. was one that we did. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Mandy, but that was also a hot take. Yeah, I, yeah, I think I think the overdrinkers probably were just Interstellar, Good to Band, the Ugly, and Transformers. Yeah, well, we do pretty, we do good. We usually can't just pick one movie because uh, we wanna we wanna wrap around everything and talk about that good talk. Uh, but yeah, uh, check those episodes out if you want to hear uh, some more from myself and Monsieur Timothy Irwin. Um, and uh, remember to go to storyscreenbeacon.com for more podcasts and articles. Follow us on Instagram at story underscore screen underscore beacon. On Twitter at story underscore screen. Um, become a member uh, if you're not one already. It's five bucks a month. Gets you access to like exclusive podcasts and uh, articles as well as cool videos that me and Robbie are doing Uh Tim, did you have a chance to check out that Halloween video me and Robbie cut together? We just released it yesterday, so... No, not yet. Oh, you gotta check that out, man. It's a lot of fun. Okay, lot, I will. That lot, sounds cool. A lot of that good story screen sass in there. Oh, yeah. It's pretty good. Okay. Um, and thanks again so much for listening. Tim, thanks for joining me, and we will catch you next time. Alright, just remember to walk away, everybody. Walk away. You gotta have 30 seconds. You gotta walk away from anything. <laughs> What are you, an owl? Great ass. I'm um, uh, recording. Great. Yeah. Oh. Hello, hello. Great. Hear my new keyboard, clicky clicky, clicky clicky. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm playing um, Red Dead currently still. Uh, just got all the weapons, and now I'm trying to capture one last horse that I'm having a hard time tracking down. Oh, uh, what's your uh, what's your favorite weapon? Uh, I'm a rev- I'm a revolver guy. Uh, I usually am. That's like my mo. Like with Dead Space yep. and a Bioshock, I'm always like whatever. Like the coolest hand. Like remember in Dead Space that like it almost kind of looks like, uh, like it almost kind of looks like Star Lord, like Star Lord's yeah, thing. Right. You know, where I, it's like I've a never double... played that, but I know that gun you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, let me Dead Space and Dead Space Two, man. I I think back on like some of my most favorite gaming experiences, and it's playing those two. Those are just like fun, fun games. Yeah, I never, never did those ones. Uh, but yeah, uh, Callaway's revolver. It's like the, the it's one, one of the rare revolvers yeah, that you can get fights. from. Yep. Yep. I got that one, and then I got a Showfield that's just like just below that one that I like retroed up a little out. bit. Yeah. Yep, just a little bit, and then pretty much just using those all the time. Uh, and then uh, I'll pull out the sawed-off shotgun. Uh-huh. Whenever, whenever I'm feeling frisky, oh, I really, I really got down with the pump and the lever shotguns. Yeah, I got the the Lancaster. Lancaster is uh, my main go to rifle, and then I'm also a big bow guy. Love yeah. the bow. The, the bow's, bow's a lot of fun. The bow's a little janky in terms of targeting on Xbox, at least. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so. okay. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very janky on PS4 yeah. too. It's very. Uh, I kind of mainly just like to use it because I like to see how how many I can get out before they even notice I'm there. Right, right. Uh, and it's fun because like right now I'm in my uh, like explorer phase, uh-huh. doing the treasure maps, going around picking up cigarette cards, uh-huh. hunting down horses, the just kind of not legendary animals. D- 
Yeah, if I pop by a legendary animal, I'll grab it. I've already maxed out what I need for the legendary animals just through the normal playthrough for 100. Yeah. You don't have to get them all. Yeah. Uh, but if I pass one, I'll grab it just because I can get the, like, the, the, cool uh, skin. the upgrade stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the next thing I'm doing is uh, the legendary fish. Oh. Uh, which is going to be time-consuming. And then after that, I get to jump into the challenges, which is, like, the very first one is the bandit challenge, which is all the bad stuff that I never did throughout the game because I played Arthur, like, super straight. Right, So I never, like, I never robbed a train or a bank of my own, like, accord or anything like that. Uh So now in this bandit challenge, I got to be a bad boy. So I, like, made a whole new outfit uh, for just because you have to change your outfit yeah. so people can't like right, recognize right, you right. once you come from something. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do some of this like slightly more time consuming stuff that's maybe not as much fun. And then I'm going to break right into well, getting I, that money. I missed an achievement because I didn't do, I missed the um, achievement for do all the camp missions because I refused to work with that fucking German asshole anymore by the end of the game. Oh, really? Yeah. I was just like, I don't, I, this guy's mission suck. I hate like, just like, just harassing these regular ass people. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I, I missed like a key, like bit of story, I think, at the, with the yeah. last one. 